Somebody liked it. That's good. It's a new song this morning. Join when you're when you're comfortable. I was a wretch. I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. And I was running out of time. Sin separated. The breach was far too wide. But from the far side of the chasm, you had me in your sight. So you made a way across the great divide, left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside. And there at the cross, you paid the debt I owe, broke my chains, freed my soul, and for the first time. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life, brought me from the darkness into glorious life. You took my place. You took my place, laid inside my tomb of sin. You were buried for three days, but then you walked right out again. And now death has no stay. Life has no end. For I have been transformed by the blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood of life. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. Saved my life, brought me from the darkness into your glorious light. There's nothing stronger, there is nothing stronger than the wonder working power of the blood, the blood that calls. The sons and daughters, we are ransomed by our Father through the blood, the blood. There is nothing stronger than the wonder working power of the daughters, we are ransomed by our Father through the blood, the blood. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood 
Lord, this morning we give you all the praise, all the glory, glory to his name. There to my heart was the blood applied. I'm able to sing, I ran out of that grave because of Jesus' sacrifice for me. His death on the cross, his defeating uh, of my sin is able to pull me out of the proverbial grave. I am no longer destined for um, a death and a partness from God. Yes, I'm destined for a death, a physical death, but not a spiritual one. Jesus, thank you that we can live forever with you through your sacrifice, that you pull us from that absolute separation from you into communication and communion and life everlasting with you. We live forever. And that's fine. <laughs> Living forever is great. But living forever with our maker, our creator, our savior, that is what we are excited about. It's not just about living forever. whoop de doo It's about living with you, Jesus, forever and ever, and being with you, finding our center, our place. Like Pastor James said, we're all messed up. We're all lost. The world is hurting. It's confused. But there is no confusion, and there is no loss with Jesus Christ. There is nothing to be lost there. We find our center there, Lord. So thank you this morning. We can sing about that. We ask now that as we hear about your work being done around the world, God, you'd be glorified by our listening and then our going out and doing from here, Lord. And also, please be with Pastor Tim, of course, too, as he speaks to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. On that theology, eternity is more than whoop de doo <laughs> <laughs> It works. It works. Oh. Well, welcome. We're really glad that you're with us uh, today. So, so today is a little bit of a transition day. Um, we thought with the end of the Mark series, with the whole idea of the mission of the church, that we would just take a, a Sunday to talk about mission or missions. Um, and so Tim's going to be leading us out in that in just a moment. And then next week we'll be starting a series uh, on the first six chapters of Daniel. Uh, so we hope that you'll uh, come back and join us for that beginning of that series next week. 
Um, what we want to do, we, we thought it would be really helpful for you to get to know some of our missionaries. So what we're doing today is we're going to show you a 20-minute uh, video from one of our missionaries, Nick and Crystal, who are ministering in Africa, um, just to familiarize you with what they're doing. And then as a follow-up, on Tuesday night, an email has already gone out. We're, we'll send a reminder email out uh, tomorrow. Uh, Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, you can come on Zoom and you can uh, talk to them live and ask them any questions you want about what they're doing and what their ministry entails. We thought it would be a really kind of a helpful follow-up uh, to that. So we're going to watch the video from uh, Nick and Crystal. And then remember, we really encourage you to join us Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. Uh, come on Zoom and talk to them live in, in that experience. We think it will be a real blessing for you. Good morning, Chapel. We're so happy to be able to present to you this morning or about, uh, about the ministry that we do in Rwanda, East Africa. And some of you may remember Tim and Jessica Brubaker. When they returned to the U.S. On, uh, to do uh, pastoral ministry here, we were able to step into their shoes and, uh, and take over the ministry at New Creation Ministries in Kigali. For today, the first, we want to remember the great things that God has done in Rwanda, and we want to celebrate and praise, we want you to celebrate and praise the Lord with us, because as a church, your partnership in this ministry has made all of this possible. The second thing we want to do is encourage each of you to step further in to missions. Um, we want you, we want you personally to participate in making disciples locally and internationally. And we hope that our stories of God's work show you the impact that you could have by just being obedient to how God's calling you. And we hope that part of that includes partnering, personally partnering with us in the work that we're doing, making disciples in Rwanda. So we are the Parolos. My name is Crystal. This is Nick. And um, you can see in the picture our three kids, Grace, Raina, and Luke. And we serve in Rwanda, East Africa, um, and have been there for the last just over four years. To give a brief background to um, who we are, um, I am a nurse, a labor and delivery nurse, and kind of my background with Christ, I, be, I grew up in a non-Christian family, um, was saved when I was 14 years old, felt called to missions when I was 15 years old, um, was able to travel a little bit on short-term mission trips um, to Africa and India, and through that really decided that I would love um, and felt called to use nursing as a means to do missions. I got my degree from the University of British Columbia because I'm half Canadian. And from there was able to practice um, nursing and use that um, within missions. And my name is Nick again, and I grew up in a Christian family and felt called to be a missionary from a very young age. And so pursued uh, teaching at Bethany University and got a teaching credential. And after I graduated, I was able to go to Turkey for a year and work with my brother-in-law church planting there. And it was there that he encouraged me to pursue a master's degree if I wanted to do teaching as a missionary, because that would open doors of ministry. And I found that it was very wise advice. After I returned from ministry in Turkey, I got involved at a church and I met this young lady here and we got married. 
Um, when Nick and I got married, we decided it would be really great to start seminary pretty quickly before we had kids, which turned out to be a good decision because seminary is pretty intense. And um, when Nick started seminary, it became really obvious in a lot of our missiology classes, um, two things. One, we, we had an African professor that shared with us. He said, you know, Africa could really use people to come train and disciple and teach um, Africans more theology, the gospel and biblical studies. He, um, he told us, you know, Africa, Christianity in Africa is a mile wide and an inch deep. It, it's vast. Um, there's great African church planters, but the depth of understanding of the Bible and the gospel um, could definitely go deeper. Mm -hmm. The other thing um, that became really obvious is right now we kind of live in this post-church, post-Christian um, context in the West and North America and Europe. But really where Christianity is growing tremendously is in the global South, places like South America, Asia, and Africa. And so it became very strategic for us um, to work in Africa and do discipleship because a lot of our future theologians mm -hmm. and um, future missionaries, missionaries are going to be coming out of the global South. So Nick got a degree in um, uh, Masters of Divinity and Intercultural Studies, and I got jealous while he was there and decided that I also wanted to go to school, and I got a, a Master's in Leadership um, with Intercultural Ministries, and as part of those degrees, um, we needed to go somewhere cross-culturally um, for a period of time. And so, and so I was, I was looking around for what would be a good location where Crystal could be a nurse and where I could be a teacher. And it was in one of my classes that I ran into a man named Gary Shear, who mentioned offhand that he was leading a pastoral training school in Rwanda. And I said, hey, you're doing what I want to be when I grow up. So let's chat. And so long story short, we ended up uh, visiting Rwanda and then deciding that Rwanda would be a place for both of us to minister. Rwanda is a very small country in the heart of East Africa. Um, it is called the land of a thousand hills. It's also called the land of the eternal spring. So we're very fortunate. It's about 73 degrees most of the time there. Mm -hmm. um, Rwanda is interesting. It's the most populous country in all of Africa. So there's nowhere you can go where you are not around people. Um, there's two contexts um, that I think of when I think of Rwanda. There's the urban city, um, Kigali, where we actually live. Um, people often a little bit more educated um, professionals have um, more access to higher education and so often can speak English, though still there's a lot of Kenya Rwanda there. And then um, there's the rest of Rwanda, the, um, the rural areas. Um, which makes up most of Rwanda. These people have about a sixth grade education level. They are subsistence farmers who are living off of whatever they grow on their land. Um, they are only, usually only Kinyarwanda speakers, maybe a little bit of French um, in there. And we have the privilege of actually doing ministry with both the urban and um, people that live in rural areas. Unfortunately, what Rwanda is known for, uh, in spite of all of its beauty, is the genocide that happened in 1994. And you might remember uh, that over the course of 100 days, about a million people were killed. And what makes this, this, uh, this story even more egregious for the church is the fact that uh, church leaders and churches were complicit in the killing. At the time, 90% of the population claimed to be Christian, and the genocide happened. 
because Christians were participating in it. Church leaders were, were actively collecting people into their churches for safety and then calling the, the, calling the murderers out to kill them. And Christianity is a mile wide and an inch deep, even among the church leaders. And what we found is that, that, this, that the, the, the gospel had not sunk down to their hearts, that where Galatians says there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female, all are one in Christ. God is calling all of us into reconciliation with one another, is calling all of us into relationship with one another, that, that our identity in Christ needs to be more important than our, our tribal identity or anything else about us. And until that sinks down into the hearts of Rwandans, there's going to be a need for, for discipleship to happen. And so we, we, we just, the, the missionaries that we serve with uh, began, began the work of discipling church leaders. So uh, we are involved in several ministries as a couple um, and kind of in our own professions. I work as a labor and delivery nurse with um, vulnerable underserved moms. Nick um, has a lot of opportunities to teach in within the church context in Rwanda, and both of us get to do um, university level teaching of different leadership, theological and biblical studies. Um, and our main focus is really discipleship wherever we are. Mm-hmm. New Creation Ministries is the school that was founded in uh, by the missionaries uh, right before the genocide, as they saw things coming to a head, the church leaders needed discipleship. And so we do the work of discipleship and we use the venue of a classroom education as, as the carrot to get people to come in. But we're not called to make, uh, make degree holders of the nations. We're called to make disciples of the nations. And so we, we love that we get a chance to speak into the lives of these pastors and church leaders through our school. Um, you see down there the slogan, 2 Corinthians 5.17. This says, um, behold, the old has gone. All things have become new. We are new creations in Jesus Christ. And so this theme of, of helping church leaders to, to have the skills, knowledge, and character necessary to do the work of God is what we bring into any of the schools that we have. The first school that we have is the pastoral training school. This is the church. Uh, this is the the school that we have for the the village pastors that only have that sixth grade education level that only speak Kinyarwanda. We bring them into the capital city for four years of, uh, for four years, uh, four times a year iteratively. So they come, they learn, then they go back and apply what they've learned. And in in addition to teaching them uh, typical Bible school classes taught at a sixth grade education level. We also teach them best farming practices and industry so that they're able to have more to provide for their families. In all of this, the very first class that we teach is called the true gospel. And in the course of teaching this very first class, we teach them that we're not saved by works. Work salvation is huge in Rwanda, that you, you have to tithe, attend church, be part of a choir. These are the ways that you gain God's favor. We teach them, no, it's the completed work of Christ on the cross. And invariably, people ask the question, wait, what are you saying? I've never heard this before. Pastors are asking this question. And in teaching this class, over half, consistently over half of the pastors come to know the Lord for the very first time. In this, uh, most recently, we had an intake of uh, 10 pastors. And of those 10, seven of them confessed Christ as their Savior for the first time. And we follow up with them to see, 
is, is this really your first time hearing this? And they say, yes, we've never heard such a thing before. Pastors coming to Christ. It's amazing. And we're so excited that we get to pay, uh, be part of this. Even while we're in America, we have a great team of Rwandans like Joseph in this picture who are able to teach the classes uh, even in our absence. Our second school that we have is aimed, uh, first school is aimed at the village pastors. This school is a university program that we have aimed at the, the more educated English-speaking uh, folks in the, in the capital city. And, oh, wrong direction, here you go. And this, this course, in partnership with schools like South Africa Theological Seminary and Lancaster Bible College, we were able to get international accreditation. And so students would attend our school for three years studying Bible courses and then go on to these international universities and get, the, get a degree that was internationally credible. And in this, in this partnership, we were able to offer a very significant degree to the people that were coming to our school. And in the same time, still focusing on that piece of discipleship, because once again, we're called to make disciples of the nations. Crystal, you want to tell the story? Yeah, when when we got to Rwanda, I really didn't have an interest in um, participating in either of these programs. I felt like my calling was to do nursing. And um, we had a teammate that had to leave for medical reasons who was about to teach a leadership course um, through the CLEAR program. And so I was asked to pray about whether I would pick that up since my master's degree and I have experience in leadership. We're both in leadership. And I prayed about it and felt like the Lord was um, leading me to to teach this one course um, on self-leadership. And so I started teaching um, one of our clear courses and really was impacted by how hungry um, and just transformed the students where I think um, any college professor would probably dream about teaching these type of students because they are really passionate about what they learn and um, really share a lot of testimonies at the end of class about how um, impacted and transformed their daily lives are because of um, what we are teaching them in clear. Um, one, one, there's several stories that really stand out to me, but one in particular, um, when a group of students was able to complete their third year, we had a celebration and in Rwandan culture, you do a speech. So one of our students got up and shared a speech and he just said, you know, this program is so important for Rwanda and for Africa because it's taking um, where we are and it's moving us closer to the gospel for the future. And please do not stop doing this program because it is impacting us so deeply. Um, I hold on to that a lot. And I went, as I finished um, my course, Nick, Nick said that he was going to start recruiting for new um, leadership teachers for these guys and, and gals. And um, I got a little bit upset and said, you're not allowed to recruit anymore because I really want to teach in this program um, in the future. I think in the four years that we were there, I got to do a lot of really, really cool things um, that I will share about in a later date. But I, I really did go to Nick and say, if this was the only thing we did in Rwanda for the next four years, it would be worth it because of the impact it's making. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, that's my testimony about Clear. Uh, at this point, we're seeking national accreditation in Rwanda, and there's a lot more to share about that and a lot more prayer points, but we'll talk about that at a later date. 
The other ministry that I participate in is called Iranzi Clinic. Um, Iranzi is the Kinyarwanda word that means he knows me, meaning that God knows me or knows the vulnerable women that we serve. This is a freestanding birth center that is part of a church ministry and was started um, by a Canadian midwife and a Rwandan doctor and a group of Rwandan midwives. We um, are involved a lot in a lot of things, not only serving women through um, low risk birth, but we do a community outreach program in a slum area where um, we are caring for women that have little access um, and not a lot of resources. So we do two different clinics. We do a prenatal clinic, which you can see on the bottom pictures. Um, with that, women come in and get prenatal care um, at a church in that slum area, do a lot of maternal assessment screening for high-risk situations. And when they happen, we're usually able to get consults into higher levels of care. Um, but these are women that would not have had access to this type of care and probably would have fallen through the cracks and had their babies die or they would have died because they would have had nobody finding issues earlier on in pregnancy. On the top pictures, um, I show these pictures because a lot of what I get to do is a lot of mentorship, um, a lot of teaching with Rwandan midwives, um, teaching them about labor process, um, just a lot, uh, a lot of ways, but a huge part of it is um, really discipleship. All of these women identify themselves as, as followers of Christ, but they have never been challenged to integrate their faith into their profession or their work or their care for um, their patients or clients. And so a lot of that is teaching um, that it's possible and how to do that. I, I think of um, kind of one, one way that I see this, um, when a mom is laboring um, at our clinic, they're often up walking around and a midwife is walking with them and singing them um, hymns in Rwanda or Kenya Rwanda. And I just thought that's so special um, that there's, just that type of care and glory to God. The mm -hmm. other thing that we do is after a birth happens, um, when the baby's born and everything's finished, um, all of the staff come together and thank God um, for a safe delivery and mm -hmm. pray for that baby. And so it's a really special place um, for me to get to practice midwifery and nursing. We talk about um, partnership a lot, and your church definitely partners with us, which keeps us in Rwanda. Other partners that we have, we work with a missionary team. These are some of our teammates in Rwanda um, that serve with us at New Creation Ministries. Um, we work with a local church also in Rwanda. This is at the beginning of COVID. We were able to help um, buy our church buy food to give out into poor areas for people that don't have, didn't have access to food. This is our new um, creation team. So these are a lot of the teachers that we work with at New Creation Ministries. And then this is the midwife and doctor team that I work with at Aronzi Clinic. And as Crystal mentioned, we have our team in, uh, that help us succeed in Rwanda, but then we have our US partners like, uh, like the chapel at Warren Valley. Um, and we're able to succeed in Rwanda because we have uh, partners like you that are praying for us helping us network, uh, helping us with finances, encouragement, care packages, and short-term teams. And I'll talk more in depth about these uh, in the future um, and in a future date. But what I would like you guys to consider is these three action points that you could take today. Um, we have, uh, I would like you to take a prayer card. In the back, we have a, a table set up where you can grab a prayer card so you could be praying for us because 
we cannot succeed in the work that we do unless we have folks like you that are praying for us. Um, Crystal has an amazing story about prayer and the impact that it has, but you're going to have to come back on Tuesday to hear it. Um, the second thing we'd like you to do is to sign up for our updates so that your prayers can uh, be uh, pointed and on point for, for what we're asking God to do, but also so you, you can hear how God is answering your prayers. And finally, I want you guys to plan to learn more. Come back on Tuesday, uh, June 1st at 7 p.m. Uh, you will be uh, live Zooming, and you'll be able to hear more of the stories that we weren't able to talk on. And we'll be able to answer questions after the fact. We're, uh, we're pre-recording this Zoom session. And so hopefully uh, hopefully we get to see some of you face-to-face and hear how God is moving you to be involved in missions. We're really grateful for this opportunity we had to share with you guys. We are so grateful that uh, the chapel at Warren Valley has been a partner with us in ministry uh, ever since uh, uh, ever since before our time when you were partnering with the, the Brewbakers, you were supporting New Creation Ministries. And so we're just uh, thankful for this opportunity to share with you, and we're excited to hear how God moves on you guys to become more involved in missions. Blessings to you all. Uh, Doug was just telling me uh, the prayer cards are not here yet, so they're going to be coming this week, and we'll have them for you next Sunday so that you can be uh, fully up to speed on how to be praying for the Perlos. Uh, gosh. When I uh, watch something like what we just observed, I am always struck, uh, I'm challenged by the willing sacrifice that people like the Perlos take. Uh, to take your family and to go to a place like Rwanda is not like going to Florida. Uh, the weather may be nice. The risk level is astronomical. And uh, I just hope that you will continue to pray uh, for these folks, uh, we need to do a better job of communicating with our church family, uh, the missionary works that we support. Um, so we're going to strive to do better with that. Uh, but we wanted you to get a chance to meet them. Our, we had the chance to have Nick fly out alone, and we were kind of like, after having interviewed both of them uh, as an elder team, we really wanted you to hear uh, from Crystal as well, because they are just a really strong team together. And uh, the story that she shares from this prayer situation uh, will really, really deeply impact you. So I would encourage you on Tuesday night to uh, you know, get on, go on the email, find the Zoom link. If you don't find it, please email admin at thechapelnj.org, and we'll make sure that you get the appropriate uh, information that you need. Okay, let's, uh, let's look at these verses before us. Obviously, when we come to Luke 24, 44, we are at the end of the Gospel of Luke. Um, what you do find here is that Luke, in his writing, goes a little bit further than Mark goes. As Doug so beautifully shared with us last week, Mark kind of just ends abruptly and leaves you with the question, what is my part in the work that God has called me to do going to be? 
this text adds a little bit of clarity to that discussion and kind of points the way forward. Our theme today is the word missions. If you are not churched, I wonder what comes to mind. If you're newer to the body of Christ and you say, I I didn't grow up in the context of church life, my question for you would be, when you hear the word missions, what comes to mind? So I looked up the word missions since it's the word that we use to describe our outreach to nations. Uh, Mission is a special assignment given to a person or group. Okay, And so you understand and can identify that at the end of Christ's public ministry, after his cross work and resurrection, he stood before his disciples and gave them a co-mission. Okay, He gave them a directive with authority to complete that directive. Okay, Missions is given to a group of people or to individuals, and it is the task that they are called to fulfill. When Jesus left the earth, Following his resurrection, he gave a mission to the church. That mission, most simply stated, is to share with others the saving work of Jesus. Okay, now here's the interesting thing. The truth, I think, is for most of us, the idea of sharing our faith in Christ at some level inspires a sense of fear. Is that fair? Right? Most of us... It's the greatest news that we have to share, and yet we, fear, we face a sense of reluctance because we live in a culture where you're not supposed to talk about religion and... No, COVID, okay? <laughs> so there's this sense that that's kind of out of bounds, and yet I say to people all the time, I agree, let's never talk about religion, but let's always talk about Jesus Christ. Okay, religion divides. Jesus came to save, to rescue, to redeem. Okay, so we need to kind of reassess in this text what Jesus calls us to in this final episode. So following the resurrection, he meets with his disciples. Verse 44, he says this. It says, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Meaning through the course of the three years that the disciples experienced time with Christ. Okay, the gospel of John says he chose 12 and was with them. During that time that he was with them, he says, while I was still with you, I told you everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Now that Law of prophets, Moses, and the Psalms is literally a way to talk about the entire Old Testament scriptures. So throughout his public ministry and his personal times with the disciples, he was continually explaining to them how there is truth about him throughout the Old Testament scriptures. And he spoke of that on a regular basis. And he said, I told you that everything must be fulfilled, including the suffering, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Son of God. Verse 46, or verse 45, it says, Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. And this is condensed gospel. This is very dense statements. The Messiah, the anointed king, will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And as a result, and this is, consequence 
Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And then he looks at the disciples and says, you are witnesses of these things. Meaning in showing you what you have seen, you have been by God commissioned to communicate this glorious gospel of Christ. So that statement, you are witnesses, you know the truth, and therefore you bear a responsibility, a privilege, if you will, before God to take the truth of the work of Christ and to share it with the world around you. Okay, so what, what do we find? We find first the call, verse 48. You are witnesses. You saw and now are to bear testimony to what you have seen. Okay, that's the, the, the call that is given, I believe, in this text to every believer. Okay, that every Christian from God who is, every Christian who has seen and knows the truth of the gospel has a responsibility before God to communicate that truth to the world around us. That is our calling as believers. We are witnesses. The message that we are called to share is twofold. It focuses on the work of Christ, that the Christ, verse 46, must suffer and rise on the third day. And as James so beautifully spoke to us two weeks ago, the focus of the work of Christ, his suffering, his cross work, his resurrection is all for us. And that concept of for us means to the distinct advantage of the recipient. Okay, so if you know Christ... You have been by God gloriously advantaged. You have been given a blessing and that blessing is not, to be me- is not meant to be kept as a private benefit. It is a benefit that God has called us to take and to treasure to the degree that we can no longer keep it to ourselves. All right, it is truth that touches us, transforms and changes us. The message that Christ must suffer. And then the second part of it in verse 47. He says, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And this is in continuance of or in consequence of repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. I want you to notice how this text unfolds. This text speaks about a sense of sin and a decisive turn to Jesus. And I think this is why we are reluctant to communicate the gospel with people. What we don't want to do is offend, right? We are afraid of offending. We're afraid of calling people out because in our culture, people very quickly will say something to you like this. Well, you're being judgmental. Okay, now here's the truth. Until I see myself as a sinner in need of God's grace and forgiveness, I will never come to trust in the work of Christ. So there is this necessity in the proclaiming of the truth of God's word that I share the truth that each of us falls short of the glory of God, that we don't measure up to the standard that God upholds for us, that makes us sinners in need of a Savior, in need of repentance, in need of going to God, saying, God, I've been going this way in my life, and your word is calling me to turn. So there is this proclamation of Jesus that deeply affects the heart, that understands that Christ died on the cross in my place. And as a result of understanding that, I make a decisive turn from my old life 
to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Okay, so essential to the message of the gospel is the truth about my need, my brokenness, so that I turn to Jesus, forgiveness, healing, and hope. Does that make sense? Okay, it's not simply saying God loves you, God loves you. No, God loves you, but you're a sinner in need of his saving work through the cross. And so it is repentance and forgiveness of sin that follow an understanding of the work of Christ, a sense of deep need, and realizing that hope for change is found in the work of Christ. That is what the mission is. And I think, uh, you know, Crystal and Nick just so very clearly laid that out in the work that they're doing. They're sharing the gospel of Christ with people who stand in pulpits on a regular basis who don't know the saving work of Jesus. They're professional ministers, but they don't proclaim Christ. And we as the church need to understand that the call from God for all of us is to communicate the gospel of Jesus. It's fascinating when you go to Acts 2, when Peter gets up after his denying of Jesus and his failure, and then he's restored by Christ. Peter gets up and preaches the gospel. And the the word of God tells us that those that were listening were deeply convicted. They had a deep sense of their own desperate need for the redeeming work of God. And they cry out to Peter, Peter, what do we need to do? And Peter's response is this, repent, turn from your way of life, turn to faith and hope in Christ, and then be baptized, which is to publicly proclaim the saving work of Christ over one's life. Okay? So, so there is this sense that as the apostles in the book of Acts communicated the truth of the gospel, people had a sense of guilt and hope in Christ. Right? So this text tells us that repentance for the forgiveness of sin, repentance leading to hope in Christ, is the message that God has called us to proclaim. What is the scope of the church's mission? Meaning, what are we, who are we responsible to reach as the body of Christ? Many people tend to think very locally. Okay, we tend to think about our town, our county, our area. We tend to get very focused in that way. But I want you to notice that this text in a very interesting way, says this. It says, repentance and forgiveness of sin will be preached in the name of Jesus to all nations beginning where? At Jerusalem. Here's the way we would read that at the chapel. Repentance and forgiveness through faith in Christ must be preached beginning in Washington and then to all nations so that we exist not to benefit our community, We exist to benefit our community so that our community can begin to benefit nations, okay? And that becomes the the call of the church that becomes very clear. And as you read through the book of Acts, you'll find that they begin in Jerusalem and then they go to Samaria and Judea. And then all of a sudden you find in Acts chapter 13, they're up in Antioch. And then a little later they're in Rome. And what are they doing? They're fulfilling the call that Christ gave them to take the message of Jesus and to proclaim it as hope for saving amongst the nations. This text in Acts, when it says that it were to go to all nations, implies that people are being sent and resourced 
to do the work that God has called them to do. So we come to a situation, forgive me for taking off my glasses, cuz I'm in this middle age thing where I don't know if I need glasses or not. <laughs> but when I'm wearing reading glasses, it's hard for me to look at you because you look odd, okay? So the pearls are people that sense a call from God to go to Rwanda. And they went to some churches and said, we believe God has called us to Rwanda. We're called by God to pray over that calling. And when God gives us a sense that they are called to that as, as, a, as a leadership team and as a church family, then we commit to financially support them in that work. That's the way it works. You can read through the book of Acts on a repeated case. God put a burden on someone's heart by the work of the Holy Spirit. And they go to the church and they ask people to pray for them. And they get a confirmation of that calling. And the church says, if God's called you to that, we have an obligation to financially support you in that work. That's what missions is. It's people going someplace else to do what we're supposed to be doing here. Now, here's my fear. My fear is that we become hypocrites. How do we become hypocrites? We give money to people to go and share Jesus, but we fail to share Jesus in our personal life. You know, the greatest encouragement you can give to an overseas missionary is to tell them how God has been using you in your sphere of influence. Does that make sense? When, 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 when we do what we are supporting others to do, it comes together in a way that is absolutely beautiful. And when you meet someone like the Pearl is face to face, you understand their life because it's your life. It's not just something you support. It's something you actually do and encourage in the life of others, okay? That's what missions is. And that's what Jesus in this text is calling his disciples to. So as a church in our annual budget, we have obviously funds that go to taking care of things around the building and supporting ministries and the pastoral team. We have a missions budget line. And in that, we are seeking to replicate what happens in the book of Acts, God is putting a burden on people's hearts. They become known to the church family. The church family then can financially encourage them in fulfilling the calling that God has given them to take the same message to another location. Okay? That's what missions at the most basic level is. It's somebody going to Rwanda to do what God has called us to do here. Okay? And when it says that it's supposed to go to all nations, that tells me that it goes outside of the walls of what we're doing and reaches into new places. And I would encourage you, if you've never read through the book of Acts, read through the book of Acts. Watch the flow. Watch how the Spirit of God is touching people, opening their eyes, and calling them to various places and to serve various individuals with the ministry of the gospel. Scope is to all nations. The last question is this. What is the power of missions? Okay, and missions can be me going to another country. Missions can be me sharing the gospel with my neighbor, with my coworker, which we should all be doing and seeking opportunities before God to do that. How does it happen? Notice what it says in this text. Jesus says, you are witnesses of these things. They are not ready for mission simply because they saw things. Okay. That's not enough. What's the text say? He says, I am going to send you what my father promised, but stay in the city until you have been 
clothed with power from on high until the divine assistant has taken up residence in your heart. You go to the next letter that Luke writes, it's called the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. It says the disciples were doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. They were waiting in Jerusalem, and then there is the experience of Pentecost, and the Spirit of God comes, takes up residence in individuals' lives, and gives empowerment to do the work of missions. And as you read through the book of Acts, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find it says, Acts chapter 2, and Peter, filled with the Spirit. Acts chapter 4, and Peter, filled with the Spirit. Acts chapter 7, and Stephen, filled with the spirit and they what do they do they have a sense of god's power and presence and they in that setting proclaim the message of the gospel of christ okay god has literally called you on a co-mission he has not called you to go out and do something for him he has called you to go out and do something with him okay you want to have a terrifying experience Try to communicate to someone your hope in Christ in your flesh. Try to do it on your own. This text, I think, is abundantly clear. In verse 45, the disciples have seen everything, right? They've seen all the work of Christ. It's been right in front of them. And at the end, what do they do? They completely fail. What did they need? They needed God to open their eyes to see the truth of what had been seen. So seeing it was not enough. God, by the work of his spirit, needed to come into their hearts and do something called regeneration, a change of heart that gives visibility to spiritual things, that opens the eyes. And notice what it says in verse 45. He's talking to them. Everything must be fulfilled. It says, then he... Jesus opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures that they had been hearing for three years. What does that mean? Okay, I I can go to Acts chapter, I think it's chapter 16. Lydia is sitting. Lydia is uh, in Acts 17 is a seller of purple cloth textiles. She's hearing one of the apostles sharing the good news of Christ. And here's what the Bible says. And God opened Lydia's eyes to understand the gospel. And folks, here's what happens. You're hearing. The gospel is attractive to you at some level. You have some level of basic understanding, but it's not yet transforming and regenerating until the Spirit of God comes and does the work in someone's heart that I can never do. Okay? I can communicate the gospel of Christ with Linda Matthews. But I cannot make her a believer. I can't make a convert. What can I do? I can, I can bring the truth to her. But here, and here's the blessing. When you begin to share the truth of God's word with people in the power of the Spirit's indwelling presence, God will work through your witness to open people's eyes so that when someone comes to Christ, you cannot say, I led them to Christ at one level but you can say, I told them about Jesus. And when the penny drops and God moves with the work that you're doing, you are in a a position of cooperation. Not merely your effort, but your effort tied to the power of God begins to produce change in people's lives. That will give you courage in fulfilling the call of God to the church. It should be terrifying to you. 
because you don't have the capacity to change someone's heart. And if you've been trying to do it on your own, stop. Start praying and say, God, as I have this opportunity to tell someone the good news of Christ crucified, risen, and coming again, open their eyes. Help them to see. And you begin to move in dependence. But as you know that you're connected with God in dependence, it will breed courage in your sharing. Does that make sense? It won't be up to you. All you have to do is deliver the mail. You just have to put the plate of food in front of someone and allow God to give them an appetite, a desire to know Christ. The power of the mission is that we join with God. We have a powerful, glorious, divine assist that is manifested throughout the book of Acts. As people begin to proclaim, full of the Spirit, full of the Spirit, they're proclaiming and doing the work that God has called us to do. As the word of God is shared faithfully with people, and this is our calling, communicate the good news. The Spirit convicts, convinces, and empowers witness. The success of mission, the success of my personal sharing with someone that I know is dependent upon desperately the work of God. That gives me hope when I share the gospel with people. Because you know what we think? We think, well, what if I get it wrong? What if I make a mistake? What if they ask me a question I can't answer? So? If God is at work, you're not going to stop what he's doing. Your weaknesses may be an impediment to your self-esteem. But they are not an impediment to the work of God. Okay? And the purpose of gospel sharing ultimately is not about you. It's about hope for someone who desperately needs Christ. And it's about ultimately at the end of the day exalting Jesus. So my challenge to you this morning is as we go, don't discuss religion. Spare people. But do proclaim Jesus. Reluctance is common. I get it. Silence about Christ is inexcusable. When you understand and you know what the suffering of Christ has accomplished and what the resurrection of Christ has assured, silence really should not be an option. May God help us to gain confidence in the fact that the Spirit of God comes to make us witnesses to the glorious work of Christ. And may we begin to say, God, give me opportunities in my family, in my workplace, to communicate with people that there is hope in Jesus. Join God where he's working. One of the things that we as an elder team picked up as we listened to, to, to Nick and Crystal, one of the things we picked up was there's a clear sense of God's hand on their lives. And even, I don't know if you experienced this, as I'm just listening to them this morning, I've seen this presentation and listened to it. There is something in me that says, yes, amen. It's what God's calling them to. And we, as a church family, have the privilege of getting behind them and getting behind that for God's glory. A sense of inadequacy is okay. It's probably healthy. But don't let it silence you. Let it drive you to understand that mission is cooperative. Not something that I said earlier that I do for God, but it is something I do with God in cooperation with him. And then this morning I want to say this. 
Maybe you're here at the chapel and you've been coming for a little while. You've been hearing the gospel. Uh, I thought Doug and James both the last two weeks did such a beautiful job of communicating to you that Christ died for you and that Christ rose over death for you. And I don't know about you, but like last Sunday, my heart was filling with hope that our lives can be changed, that God can do something that is absolutely astonishing and amazing. And my question for you this morning, if you've been coming and you've been listening and you say, I just, I'm not quite there, I don't fully understand. Perhaps you've been sensing God opening your heart, convicting you of your sin and convincing you that there's hope in Jesus. Maybe you sit here each week and you're fighting against it. Okay, you're just, you're not sure if these people in this building are all there. I experienced that a lot with people. <laughs> like you're just, I said to someone the other night that I was talking with about the gospel. If you don't believe it, there is still part of you that wishes it was true. There's part of you that wishes for your shame there could be forgiveness. That in your darkness there could be hope. And you hear that message, and you might say, Tim, I'm just, I'm just not at the plate. My, I don't feel that my eyes are open yet. I want it to be true. And here's what I want you to understand. That wanting the gospel to be true is emerging from your, you were made in the image of God. You were made for fellowship with him. And the reason you want it to be true is because that's what you were made for. One of the saints of old said this, our hearts are restless until they rest in him. And people seek satisfaction and release and deliverance in all kinds of avenues. And I want to tell you this morning as a church, and I think this is clearly what the Bible teaches, hope for sinners is found in Christ. And if you... If you're, 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 you're at that place where you sense that God is calling, we are to preach Christ to you so that you come to a place of repentance, meaning a decisive turn from the way I have lived, and I want to follow and trust Christ. I am convinced that this life that I've been living does not honor God. It has not measured up to his standard. And, and you will sense by the work of the Spirit, I believe, this, regen, this change of heart that turns you to trust in Christ. And all of a sudden, what you hope is true is known to be true. That forgiveness for my sin, that deliverance from my shame, that fullness of life can be found. Not in dead-end streets, that leave me dissatisfied, shamed, and guilty. But then in Christ, I find that I have hope, and that hope is not rooted in my performance. It's not rooted in coming and sitting in a chair here and singing a song and putting money in an offering box. It's not rooted in anything I do. 
It's rooted in the fact that the Son of God suffered, was crucified, and died to bear the consequence of my sin. That's the message God has called me to share. How could I be silent when I know that hope for the people in my sphere of influence is found in the person I know personally? Folks, if you know Christ, let that truth overwhelm afresh. Kamal, I think I picked up on something when you were singing the new song that you had a hard time getting through the first two lines. Not because you're nervous, okay? Because I know that's not what it was. But there was a beauty being proclaimed in those lines that God has convinced you is true and true for you. That's what the gospel does. So we don't browbeat people. We don't take our Bible and roll it up and hit them over the head and say, you're so dumb. No, no, I'm praying that God will open your eyes. I can't make you a Christian. I can't twist your arm and manipulate. And that's what people tend to do when they're not trusting in the spirit of God. The spirit of God changes hearts. And when he changes your heart, you will repent and you will believe and you will be forgiven. That's the message of the gospel. Our privilege as a church family is to have a missions budget. And in that missions budget, there are the names of people who go out to make the name of Jesus known. Our mission budget is different than service. It's different than community service. Its aim is to make Jesus known. Everybody that shows up on that list needs to be a believer in Christ. And they need to be committed to the fact that everything else I do in my life is in service to making Jesus known. May God help us as a church to get on mission with God and to do it ultimately, not because it makes me happy, and it does, it thrills my heart, but to do it because at the end of the day, it is the most Christ-exalting thing that I can do. Revelation 5.11 says this, Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? Because you were slain and with your blood you purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth with you. After that is written, John hears all of heaven saying this, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and power and praise. Folks, at the end of the day, all of our sharing of Christ is to cause people to glory in him as the saving one, to revel in who Jesus is. We're gonna sing a song as we close today that asks the question, is he worthy? And I hope, I hope that as you sing, that you'll meditate on these truths. There's a phrase in the song that says, he is the root of David. The root of David is, the, is probably one of the most comprehensive Old Testament pictures. He is the one promised in Genesis 
that ultimately comes through the line of King David. And in the book of Matthew is born as the son of David, the one who has come to save. He is tied to the whole storyline of the Bible. He doesn't just emerge in the middle of nowhere. He emerges in the middle of a story that God's been telling about how there can be hope for sinners like you and I. So I hope that as you sing, as you declare that he is worthy, that God will be glorified and that our hearts together will enjoy making this proclamation that the one that God has called us to serve, to know, to love, and to be forgiven through is Jesus Christ, our glorious Savior. Would you pray with me? Stand with me too, if you would. Father, as we come before you this morning and we had the privilege so beautifully, Lord, to listen to two people that I just sense in my heart are beautifully called by God to take the gospel to a difficult place like Rwanda. Lord, I pray safety over Nick and Crystal and their children. I thank you, God, for how my heart has been challenged by their sacrifice, free, willing, joyful surrender to God. God, I pray your blessing, rich blessing over them. I pray that the glory of Christ and the worth of Jesus as Savior and as hope would become so densely rich to them that they will feed on that truth in their souls. Holy Spirit, that you would make clear to them that this is the work you've called them to and that you will provide everything in relationship to finances for the ministry you've called them to. And Father, my prayer this morning would be that at the end of the day, Rwanda would be a place where the worth of Christ is known clearly, where religion falls aside and relationship with Jesus rises in a way that is bringing great freedom and forgiveness to that nation. God, we pray for Rwanda, that it would become a nation where the name of Jesus Christ is highly exalted. Bless us now, Lord, as we sing. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Scroll. The 
Lion of Judah Who conquered the grave He is David's root and the Lamb who died To ransom the slave Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Of all blessing and honor and glory Is he worthy of this? He is. Does the Father truly love us? He does. Does the Spirit move among us? He does. And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those he loves? He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone and open the scroll. The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. From every people and tribe, every nation and tongue, He has made us a kingdom to God to reign with his son is he worthy is he worthy of our blessing and honor and glory is he worthy is he worthy is he worthy so many distractions. I know this week that I've been hit with a lot of distractions and it's really encouraging to just come here and to have the opportunity to step in your presence that we don't have to have a, a, a human priest come and do this for us. We can actually come to you ourselves because you are our priest and we can actually refocus and recenter and get spiritual food and in this, we're able to then have the Holy Spirit in us and proclaim your word, not just locally, but also throughout the world. We have opportunities through the Internet. We have opportunities everywhere 
our life should be a mission, should be the mission that uh, shows everybody that who Christ is and that we are sinners, and that we're not judging, we're just showing what's in our hearts and everybody's hearts that we have fallen away from God and we need to fill that space, but that space can only be filled with you. And I pray that we would focus on that this day. In Jesus' name, amen.